So if you're ever going to listen to one of my podcasts, this is it. Look, it's ideal for chiropractors, but really anyone in business. And it's a chat I had with Mike Hutchinson, who is the chief head honcho at the Peloton accountancy and marketing firm down in Falmouth in Cornwall. So we're sitting on the back of a boat overlooking Falmouth Harbour and basically reliving 20 years of the financial mentorship that Mike has provided me personally. And really, he's helped me get to where I am today. So look, we talk about how it all began and what uh, he has learned about 30 years of helping chiros and dentists alike. It's really quite an insightful look into everything. You really love the bit about where he talks about his definition of success towards the end. But uh, yeah, I'm sure you'll hear a few little noises, a few little seagulls chirping away in the background there, coarse squawking away in the background. But um, yeah, enjoy. And also, like realistically, since uh, I've exhausted all the chiropractors in the Cairo London group, I'm still not exactly sure uh, the direction that this podcast will take. But I'm sure you're going to love this episode, which is effectively just two old mates having a natter over a cup of coffee in Falmouth Harbour. Enjoy. Hutch. Where are we, man? Where are we? Um, Describe the view. Okay, the view's very good, actually, from here right now. We're, we're sitting on a mooring in the middle of Falmouth Harbour, which turns out to be the third largest natural harbour in the world. Um, and as the boat swings around, we get views of Flushing on one side and Falmouth on the other. Sun's coming in the back deck. Hopefully you can pick up just that hint of water lapping against the... Uh the seagull in the air, maybe a line of a yacht that's whacking next to us. Um, <laughs> a ferry maybe, passing. Yeah, maybe you won't hear any of that. Clatter of oars. There's often um, a seagull display around about this time of the morning. There are several seagulls career past the back of the boat. So you were just saying you've had a couple of requests to do a podcast. So thank you. For, is this your first podcast? <laughs> no, I've done other... Um, interviews on um, mainly on accountancy style channels uh, one, one of the big team is somebody called Accounting Web I did something with them recently yeah. uh, it was about a year ago actually yeah because I think some advice I was given during this lockdown period was whatever you do please don't start a podcast <laughs> <laughs> do you know I was given some advice about two weeks ago I said whatever you do don't appear at a podcast <laughs> <laughs> and here we are and uh, obviously I knew where you were moored and there was no escaping now yeah, and now I've arrived with a microphone and I paddled on my paddleboard over to see you exactly and there's no escaping there unless you jump overboard um, swim away yeah but and anyway are you so really I suppose it's about the ten discs <laughs> On the, and how am I going to survive on the desert island? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is that what you, that's how you reined you you yeah you so threw your yes, net uh, out and said, "Look, this is how I get this guy to do this podcast." 
Yeah, well, uh, let's start there. What is your uh, what is your number one disc that you would take on your desert island? Well, I don't think anyway. We talked about this last night, didn't we? On on some of the great vinyl collection, it probably one of those who singles like Baba O'Reilly. I think probably Baba O'Reilly scratched yeah. on vinyl. Right. Yeah. Actually, so this is a good thing. I need to <coughs> reveal my surprise right now, which I don't have with me because I didn't <laughs> think uh, it would survive that well if I landed headfirst into the water. Oh, yeah. But uh, I've been staying at your house, and um, it has the record player in it, right? Oh, yeah. With the whole collection of vinyl from back in the day, right? Yeah. Um, didn't see many new albums there. Did you buy any? Have you well, bought any new of, stuff? Well, I've only bought old stuff that's been digitally remastered, but unfortunately, I still it misses. We, like we were talking about this, weren't we? About how does music start as a as a groove with bumps in, go through a needle into uh, a, an amplifier, and come out through some speakers, and you can distinguish between a piano and a cello, or a. I certainly couldn't a, describe it in detail to my twelve-year-old no inquisitive son. You but know, you, um, but to me, you, I can tell the difference. I'm not that I'm hugely gifted in anything, but but the difference between an analog recording and a digital recording. Oh, right. Wow. But where I was heading with that, though, is I ordered you a new album. No way. And I'm gifting it to you when you get on dry land. But it is... Now, you may or may not... You may be thinking this is the worst gift that you've ever been given in your life, but... <laughs> It is Coldplay's first album called Parachutes. Oh, yeah. Are you a Coldplay yeah, fan? Yeah, yeah. You don't mind a bit of like no, I love Chris it. Martin kind yeah, of yeah. screeching away? No, I love it. Anyway, it turns out I listened to this uh, BBC program of Joe Wiley interviewing Chris Martin about yeah. his album. And Parachutes, if you remember, with <coughs> that sort of yellow globe on the front cover, was released 20 years ago. Good God. And then, so when you listen to some of those tracks on there, thinking back to what the hell you were doing 20 years ago mm. was corresponding to the first time I met you. Oh, my goodness. So how's that for a segue? That is brilliant. That <laughs> is brilliant. <laughs> Are we going to talk about that? That, it, that? that, in many ways, I've repeated that story myself so many times of that first meeting. So, so was the, the first meeting was in London, right? Yeah, in a little cafe in... Hunty, wasn't it? Well, so tell me what you remember of, of that first. Well, there was a build-up to it, which was tremendous, because um, I kept picking up the phone to this Australian guy who would who would give me a, a summary of a situation, uh, which often culminated in a very, very complicated solution. And we would talk about it for an hour or so. Uh, and then he would put the phone down. And then he would call me back about 10 days later. And there would be another complication that added to the problem. Um, and it was all about trying to buy a company in the UK and getting his dad as a shareholder. And it just became so messy. And that was you. So we thought, OK, well, we'd better meet up just to see if this thing's going to gain any legs. So we crept into this cafe, didn't we, in, in Putney. But the most memorable thing for me was the... And this is a story I've repeated... Uh, so many times is the is the checklist the 10 things on the checklist and these are the 10 things that I'm going to do and I looked at that and I thought that's just amazing well that's great you know it's got a lovely checklist on it was the two uh, two or three memorable things one was a golf handicap of two one was uh, a, a wife two children um, 
And some other stuff as well. Oh, yeah, um, ten, maybe 10 weeks, 8 to 10 weeks holiday a year, that sort of stuff. And I thought it was all very good aspirational targets. Uh, and, but I said immediately afterwards, well, it would be lovely to meet your fiancé, um, assuming the kids haven't turned up yet. And you said, I haven't even got a girlfriend. <laughs> but anyway, fast forward. Wife, two kids, 10 weeks holiday. There, were, there, was, a, there was a salary number as well, and it was a good one. Um, but the one that you didn't quite hit on the head was the, and, but I quote this, is the golf handicap of two or three, but semi-pro cyclist instead. So, you know, can't be all bad. And the point of that story anyway was the fact if you haven't got a goal, it's really hard to get anything or get any achievements if you haven't set out with some degree of clarity what you've done. And I think we've brought that bit of paper out I don't know how many times. And I think we're in the process of rewriting it for the for the next chapter or next chapters. Is that how you saw it? Yeah, I must have been slightly. So, so basically, you haven't had a meeting much like that initially before, or do, do people roll up like that sometimes? Or well, no. I mean, a lot of people get a lot of people turn up with a with a problem about some degree of minutia. Should I have a limited company or a partnership, or should I do this or do that? And, and of course. They're important questions, but they're not as important as understanding where the destination is. And you can't do anything. uh, So for me, one of my mantras is, is, uh, uh, A, it's all about the destination slash outcome. So everything you choose to do, you should first determine what outcome you're pursuing. So if you're in a difficult conversation with somebody about something, then determine what outcome you're looking for before you start the conversation. And if you're on a journey at work, work out what the outcome is you're, you're trying to achieve. And the outcome not, need not necessarily be financial. It can be a time-based thing, it can be a wealth-based thing, it can be a gratification-based thing. There's lots of outcomes that you can have. So yeah, outcome is important. And, and then your, <clears throat> your list illustrated that brilliantly. The, so I guess we'll go to sort of I'm not quite sure what the exact purpose of this discussion is going to be, which I love entering into a conversation with. Uh, well, you know, we, we maybe should explain for those that have no idea who you are. Um, Mike Hartshu runs the Peloton, right? And the Peloton is an accountancy firm and marketing Yeah, marketing consultancy. But I also, if you go back over those 20 years as well, I remember when I met you, you were part of a a partnership called Kelsall Steel back in the day, which then evolved into, or I guess a partnership that dissolved and then um, moved into you running your own ship at Peloton. Yeah. And I've been with you throughout that whole time. And I remember another memory that came off of me, I remember one of those fairly early meetings that I had down in Truro offices, uh, I think after that meeting, I sent you a gift. Do you remember what that gift was? Ooh. It was Roger's Profanosaurus. Oh, yes. Yes. And and you were like, who the hell is this guy, you know? He's <laughs> uh, like, thanks for the meeting. Here's a book I thought you might enjoy. And, yeah. and that's that thing. That was it. A dictionary that was, still got of... Lewd uh, definitions of different words, and you yeah. were just like regularly would always finish any other meeting in the future with like a reference to Absolutely. the Profanosaurus, right? Um, anyway, no, that's um, true. No, but I think uh, I was hoping to, so obviously, for the thousands of listeners that are actually out there, 
gain some sort of insight into because we've our relationship has evolved from one of an accountant should I can you help me buy this company while I'm sponsored by the company type of scenario you had a lovely thick head of dark hair at the time uh, uh, who me yeah what? and then obviously you blame me I believe for now the fact <laughs> yeah. that it's fully grey up top <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah I've done all your worrying for you yeah. Well, mine's all fallen out, and yours has turned grey. So <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, but now I mean, uh, you've obviously turned into a financial mentor and a friend, really. But which is, I don't know if that's just your style of accountancy, or whether I'm unique in that scenario, or well, I mean, you're, you're unique in in that scenario in some respect because uh, you know we talk about all sorts of stuff, don't we? There is no limits. No. on our conversations and we uh, and we do it but I do it I do it for an awful lot of people as well and I think I just do it because let me just give you a bit of background to that so I when I so okay this story has been repeated a lot of times so of the thousands of listeners there's a there's a danger that one or two of them heard it before but I used to pitch up at dinner parties and um and, 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 you know, and be chatting with someone, get massively excited about something or other like that. They want to say, what do you do, what do you do? I say, I'm an accountant. Ah, okay. And there'd be this long period of silence, they'd turn away. And, and it was exactly the same as the scene in About a Boy, where they were having getting on famously on one New Year's Eve party. And she said to him, so what is it you do? He said, well, I don't actually do anything. My father wrote this record and I live off the royalties. And with that, she turned her back on him and went. And... and so I thought, okay, I need to reinvent myself. So I came up with this brilliant idea. So I rolled it out the next dinner party. So chat, 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 getting on absolutely famously with somebody. And they, what do you do? I said, do you know what? I'm a financial historian. They said, oh my God, that's awesome. What do you mean you're a financial historian? I said, yeah, I'm a financial historian. And, and she looks across and I John, John. They said, what is it? So this guy, this guy's a financial historian. That's incredible. John, who was obviously not a fool, said to me, Interesting, interesting. So what period of history do you study exactly? And I said, well, I said, to be honest, last year? He said, oh, you're an accountant, aren't you? And of course, that, so that blew my cover. But I got about two minutes more attention. Anyway, mm. I left. So having that one failed, um, I was at a presentation. It was actually at Cambridge Uni. Um, by a guy, and I was—I just loved the way he presented the the stuff that he presented, and uh, and I went to and spoke to him afterwards, and he said, he said, you want to go and be taught NLP, you know, neuro linguistic programming. I mean, it was a, a strong sales tool back in the probably eighties, nineties, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So I went of course and did two, two or three of those, and and I found it really, really, really helpful because I'd learned from quite an early stage is that that people aren't fascinated by balance sheets. I would spend all night. You know, like working really late in the office to get the balance sheet penny perfect, to get everything in the right box and present it to the client who would grunt, not really knowing what I was showing them and, and, and you know, be more interested in the tax bill. And once I realized that people weren't hugely fascinated in, in, the, in, the, in what I was producing, um, I kind of then then realised I had to reinvent myself. I had to do more than be a financial historian. Yes, yeah? so I did the the NLP. So I set myself up doing that. I read lots and lots and lots of business books. Um, I became uh, we, I set up a dental business school with a friend. We became the largest in the UK. One of the presenters failed to turn up. I got hauled in. I was then at the front of the room for several years doing all that sort of stuff. 
so yeah, lots of lots of those things. But that's that's how I met you. Is sort of I got wind of this finance for chiropractors thing, right? Which is sort of like an offshoot of the. Um, the you've obviously somehow specialized in dentistry and chiropractic, right? As yeah. well as, you, you know, you're very, very similar in many yeah. ways. But I mean, so it was kind of one of the things I was going to ask about, like, you know, what what have you learned from, or what, what is similar about those two things? What can we learn from dentists compared to chiropractors? Um, Would you know, know the first thing you could learn is you'll love this. The first thing you can learn is if you want to run a successful business, and you know the answer to this question, right? If you want to run a really successful dental practice or you want to run a really successful chiropractic practice, I'm going to come around and break both your arms because that's the quickest way for you to do it. And you remember on your 40th when you stuffed up your knee in that accident uh, and you had to sit at home being quite still. You, you really get focused on running a business rather than trying to be a chiropractor. So mm. the biggest problem with chiropractors and dentists is that they want to be chiropractors or dentists, and they don't really want to be businessmen. But that's presupposing, of course, that you want to um, run a business rather than, than work in a business, you know? Um, businesses, in my mind, should work for you not you should work for them but that's where you've just got to be true to yourself in that in that you know are you actually is, is are you more passionate about running a business or more passionate about directly helping those individuals yeah and, and you just you know there are people within our group that are going to be chiropractors for life and just do their thing it, it's at least you know as a chiropractor you're able to maybe do it for only three days a week or something yeah um and but, then do uh, other stuff and, and i've learned that as well and and um I think if there was one thing that I, that one quality of chiropractic that I, that I love, I'm really passionate about chiropractic, as you know, and regularly get uh, adjusted um, here in Falmouth, and um, is, is the passion of the individual to make people better. And I, so for years, I would go along to conferences and, and turn up with some, what I thought was a fantastic pr uh, presentation or some proposition that would just change everyone's life and blah, 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 and no one was interested. And I just kept looking, I thought, what's the matter with you lot? You know, why aren't you, this is gonna save you a fortune or make you a fortune or do whatever it's gonna do. It's gonna do something crazy, but it's not interested. And I realized that on that wheel of, of all the spokes of, uh, of necessary to run a, a business, the commercial spoke was always missing. Because, you know, people were so passionate about chiropractic, mm. or so it felt, that, that actually getting the commercials right was, 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 wasn't as important. It didn't quite get to the top of the list. And Which is but, why I think when you, and Les with experience, we quite quickly went from one clinic to five because we found that if we actually did go and offer some people to buy their clinics, they jumped at the opportunity because they didn't really want to, yeah. or, you know, the most frustrating thing about running their clinics were having to run the clinics. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> anyway, look, I wanted to ask you this question. I Tommy actually asked me the other day, uh, Tonkins, the um, has it been worthwhile changing from one to five? And it was really interesting just to kind of be asked that question at this interesting stage, especially through the pandemic. You know, has it? You know, because I think financially, it's not necessarily been worthwhile yet. 
What's your opinion on that, on, on my little journey in the last five years? Well, I think we're at, well, I think that you've answered the question in the fact that it's a journey. We haven't actually got anywhere near the destination just yet. We, we sat down in an underground restaurant in London and with a bit of paper. Do you remember that with Drew and Luke? And we worked out that it was going to be 10 practices. You know, in 10 years, wasn't in it? In 10 years, you know, and we're, we're partway down that journey. I think... Five so practices th- in five years. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's two things, really. I think one... First thing, I think um, chiropractic practices represent good value when they're run properly. So the, so the cost of acquiring one and its capacity. So if you compare what a dentist is capable of achieving in his practice versus what a chiropractor achieves in his practice they're significantly different um, that's, and of course dental treatment can be quite expensive but what, it's not about that, it's about the capacity within it, so one of the questions when I'm looking at evaluation of a practice is how, what percentage of your available space is actually used and the average for the industry is somewhere between 20 and 25 so that means you could fire up on a Monday right, and work all day Monday work for an hour and a half on Tuesday morning and then shut for the rest of the week that's what most practices do. Most chiropractic practices most chiropractic operate practice. at 20%. Yeah. And that, so if you think, okay, there's a resource there that I can sell, right? Because if I can, um, then, then that's why the, the, the practices represent great value and opportunity and blah, 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 and the ability to grow. So the question is, has it been worth it? Is dependent upon your ability to leverage that space. Because I believe that you've got the resource. I could believe, and this sounds crazy, treble your turnover with your five practices that you've got if you if you went from you probably I don't know what you said at the moment I bet you're still only 35 to 40 percent I reckon mm. if you got somewhere you know to 60 it would be because the overhead stays the same the rent's the same the electricity's the same you've mm. got a little bit more overhead on the on the team telephone's the same there's no doubt my my role has become in the last month or two <laughs> recruitment is my main yeah. thing and it's really interesting actually we've, uh, there's been a fair bit of interest in this ad I just put in the BCA thing recently because I think obviously people's return to work after the pandemic has been so different that mm. there's a lot of people who aren't it's nothing like what it was beforehand and so they're, they're a bit desperate to sort of find something else to do you know so it looks like we're almost in a nice position to be able to pick and choose who we yeah. get on board the team, you know. Um, I think uh, it, it smacks of opportunity. But let me ask you a question, right, and then fire it back to you now. What business are you in? If you're in a, in a position where you've got five practices and maybe you're going to go to ten, maybe any seven or what, doesn't really matter, but you're going to make the best of what business are you in? Well, because it was... It's funny when you were talking about redefining what you do and relabeling it as something different to generate interest I kind of felt like that was one of my main motivators was to was like what do you do I'm a chiropractor right and then that generates actually quite a bit of interest because then normally people ask ask your advice instantly about that dodgy problem they've been having for years over the (laughs) dinner party and so you quite often then go to dinner parties and describe when you say what do you do you say I'm an accountant and then that way you can kind of move on and don't have to give advice away for uh, (laughs) you know but it wasn't just that it was also um, I felt like I could help way more people by having than, than what I could physically touch with one set of hands as yeah. a chiropractor. 
And we do, you know, from maybe the 60 to 100 people a week or whatever it was that I was seeing, you know, as an individual Cairo, the clinic now sees up to 1,000 people a week, yeah. so all, all five of them together, you know. Uh, and so um, that is a massive increase in the ability to help people. Oh, uh, brilliant. Um, I totally agree. And, and so I think <clears throat> I'm in the business of trying to help people, but, but specifically my role within that business is coordinating all that you know um and then going back to that leg break story um you know that that was the reminder of when i'm not physically in the building and people just get on with it mm-hmm. um it, it tends to operate a little bit smoother so long as you know someone's keeping an eye on it from afar you know yeah um, no well i think yeah, that's i that's half I answer the answer the question no nearly um but okay. i was going to remind both of us that when you buy a 12 mil drill you don't actually want the drill you want the hole the drill creates you know so we got to distinguish between what it is we do and what it is we we actually achieve mm. and um so the outcome is for you is about and i agree with that you said that to me several times before and i often forget it but i think it's so important that that with your pair of hands you can t- uh, help a thousand people a week right mm. so that's fantastic but, the, but what you actually, the skills you need to, in order to do that are, are partially chiropractic, but more importantly, recruitment and marketing. Because mm. if you can't recruit people and you can't market it, there's no way on earth you can grow your business. So, weirdly, and that, that's why, you know, they say if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. If you think of your business as a recruitment and marketing business that delivers chiropractic to help a thousand people and potentially two thousand people, it just changes your dynamic of what you do and then you just rebuild your to-do list with putting recruitment and um, marketing right at the top it's the first five things you do what well, seems uh, you know the feedback you get and, and I think that's even by looking at w- what behavior is from the team that we have is that the behavior is that they tend to like to stick around and uh, th- there's that, good. that element of loyalty there but I think you know it's not as though we have a particular formula in recruiting people or a particular form in looking after them once they're there but I think it's just that ability of creating a space and this is what we've tried to do is create a space of which they can treat as their very own yeah but they don't have to tend to the garden that much yeah Um, nice and then that's that's something I think that appeals to most people who are part of the team yeah Um, and then you know and and then obviously marketing amazing things like podcasts (laughs) (laughs) they're winners (laughs) I just wouldn't get involved with one. <laughs> I don't think uh, it's a make or break. But, you know, I mean, maybe look, there's probably not many uh, owners of a business that sat down. And, and I have enjoyed the process of interviewing all 13, currently 13 members of our team. Um, and, and learning a lot more about what makes them tick. And, yeah. uh, uh, and, and so that's what I've kind of enjoyed in the process as well. You know? Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, even in, independent of the podcast, I can imagine that's a really, really important thing to do, isn't it? Have yeah. those in-depth conversations. Yeah, and I don't think I can underestimate the, uh, you know, what both Drew and Luke do behind the scenes in um, just being there for the people that, that need it. You know, yeah. I mean, there's that sort of feeling of support that they get. But you know, yeah, that's a good point. Anyway, where were we going with this? Um, hey. I did have a couple of questions. Um, I don't know. Did we finish what we were talking about then? Yeah, we were saying what business were you in? 
And I'm just saying that. So, so if you go back to a couple of things, really. One is if you want to grow and become really successful in your business, then stop being a chiropractor. You'd have to stop, not all the time, mm. but don't make it the number one thing. Focus yeah. on the business. Second thing, think of your business about what your outcome is the treatment of a thousand people or two thousand people and the leverage of that in order to grow think of yourself as a recruiting agency and marketing business so yeah. and then there's just that point where you were making which was that sort of dental i think you're saying the dentists do a better job of actually pounds per square foot sort of thing they right? do yeah like they're they're operating at what percent do you think uh, they the do 25. Well, right? the good ones are up in the 80s, you know, up in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. They get, you know, you you ring up and there's a long waiting list, and, and but they also utilise the fact that 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 you've got to remember that that dental services and um, chiropractic are, are retail. So when do people want retail? They don't necessarily want it between nine and five. They want it at seven in the morning. They want it at eight at night, or they want it a Saturday or a Sunday. Mm. You know, so, so so some of the bigger dentists are getting involved with, um, you know, doing other bits and pieces. Mm. Um, what is your definition of success then? What a great question. Um, I th at one level, it's calibrating income, wealth, and time. So having uh, the right income, um, having the right level of wealth, all of ours of which will be different. And wealth is, so income, we know, what, everyone knows what income is. Um, wealth is probably that buffer, that things that gives you confidence that you can lean back on a little bit if things go a bit pear-shaped. Um, and time is the, is the time that you have to enjoy both of the income and the wealth. Um, and they're quite easy to calibrate. Uh, you know exactly how you do that and I think setting a goal in each of those and, and, and making a plan to, to achieve it is relatively straightforward the one that's, that sits above that is gratification and that's loving what you do um, you know so that if you can if you have achieved the right income have the right wealth and have plenty of time in which to enjoy have the right amount of time in which to enjoy or, or whatever it is you want to do but you feel gratified and loving what you do then that's when you're in the really in the zone and you get on and and then there's probably a level above that, which is some degree of uh, peace um, and some degree of uh, a high degree of health. So, yeah, success would would cascade down from health, peace, gratification, income, wealth, and time. <laughs> That's a great answer, though. It's like uh, especially now, in that there are so many people that are redefining success. And previously, probably other people's definition was based a lot around income or certainly sacrificing time to increase income, sacrificing health to increase income, uh, and nothing like a message from the government to say you must stay at home mm. and change what you do to refocus things. Yeah. Um, We've definitely seen of those that have ventured back into the chiro practices that they're really grateful that you're able to provide a service, but also the focus, you know, there's, there's more time because they're not commuting three hours a day yeah. to focus in on things like health and well-being and exercise and fitness and all this sort of stuff. Um, so that's, 
quite an interesting one. Well, it is interesting. I think the um, often so um, our value. So what but what determines our behaviour? What why we do what we do is is largely determined by our values and our beliefs. What we think is really important. Okay, and and I guess that this period has allowed us to recalibrate what we think is important. Time has obviously done that, and therefore we behave in a way to allow to free up the time. I do suspect, so, but values and beliefs are really, really deeply held stuff. I don't think, my, my prediction is in the long term, we will begin to end up like we were before. I don't think it's been a, enough of a jolt to the system. Often people don't change behaviours unless they have something called a significant emotional event, you know, which is like a heart attack or some colossal um, step change in their lives and as a consequence you know overweight people who have heart attacks lose weight and run marathons you know if you go to the London Marathon so you ask how many people had had heart attacks before and it would be a surprisingly large number <laughs> and and that makes it so is has this whole thing been I don't really want to go down that road because I don't know I'm not an expert but I don't think the I think we've just been comfortable I think we will revert so there's been a ways. slight shake-up, but not maybe enough. No, not, not significant. Not significant and emotional. Because if we were sitting on the edge of a cliff, absolutely desperate about what was going to happen next, then I could begin to understand it. But we haven't. A lot of people have been, you know, uh, have been better off. They haven't been travelling and, you know, commuting and spending money that they ordinarily would, would have done. Uh, I think actually people have come out, a lot of people have come out of this better. Some will come out of it significantly worse. So, yeah, my prediction is it will, unfortunately, not unfortunately, I don't know whether it's fortunate or unfortunate, but it will revert to largely the way that we were. Mm. Could be, I, and, and do you know what? I love being proved wrong, by the way. Mm. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was like, you know, we're talking about, we're sitting down here in Cornwall, but then the. The uh, I've been here a couple of weeks and noticed very different sort of things going on here compared to up in London. And but you were asking the other day too about how is London and and it it, it sort of seems like it just needed a reboot, like yeah. a computer that wasn't really operating that smoothly um, yeah. because it was a bit too congested because all the memory was being used yeah, by nice. background um, noise. Yeah, and there's been this kind of like on-off. Um, and it's just starting to fire up again. Um, but yeah, I, th I think I think places like London will probably be quite different. Um, uh, but I think you're also right: is that you'll get back to your old habits again pretty easily, pretty quickly, won't you? you know? Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. You know, I mean, it, um, I think London, and of course, all of my views are tainted by living here in Cornwall, where you know there has been changes and. And stuff. We'll have to see how it plays out. Mm. Great exercise. What was that again? Income, wealth, and Income, time. Income, wealth, and time. At the bottom layer, gratification. But well, have we got time for a story? Yeah, go on. Here it goes. This this was the greatest illustration of income, wealth, and time for me. So um, I was sailing on my boat up to Foy with a friend of mine called Roger. He's a great six foot six fireman from London uh, and as well as um, working in the fire service he had his own business called Pudding Lane Fire Services and he collect old vintage fire engines and uniforms and then he would often get called up by the BBC and the likes you know to bring along a, 
a, a, a, a, if there was a scene where they needed firemen, then he would be the guy that provided all of that stuff. Anyway, sold the business, retired as a fireman, moved to uh, the South Hams, uh, bought a rib, bought a yacht, bought a house, which he converted for him and his family, did a lovely job of that, had a Land Rover, chainsaw, and a couple of bite legs and a, and a fireman's pension, right? And we were up there standing, and I said, and I said Do you know what, Rog? I said, you absolutely epitomise what I think I'm trying to achieve, which is the, ba- the balance between income, wealth, and time. And he looked at me, what, what are you talking about? You know, he's going to extend, what are you talking about? I said, well, you've got a pension, you know, from the fire service, which is not inconsiderable. Um, you've got um, income from your buy-to-let properties, which is, you know, fantastic. You've bought your house. You've got, you know, the wealth that sits behind you, your house, your, uh, you know, your boats, your um, buy-to-lets, it's always fantastic. And now you've got the time to enjoy it. You know, so you're only 55, you've retired from this thing. And, uh, and, I, can, and I can do all of that. And I said, so that surely is the, is the perfect balance. Uh, and he looked at me and he just cooked his head to one side. I said, what's the matter? He said, do you know what? I said, what? He said, I feel like shit. I said, what? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? I said, how can you possibly, given that you've got everything in balance? He said, yeah. He said, but the trouble is, he said, I'm no one. So I'm no one now. He said, back in the day, you know, he was in the, um, the 7th of July train disaster. His senior officer died. He had to take command of that whole scene. He could have shut the M25 motorway. He, could, he had an immense amount of control and power and everything that he did. He said, no, nah, no one. He said, I go to the pub with those bloody idiots. They don't know why. He said, I feel like a piece of shit. And so that, made, that reminded me that gratification sits above income, wealth, and time. Because if you don't love what you're doing, even though you're having a wealth and time, you're, you're not moving on. So that's why gratification appears in that little hierarchy. And as I say, above that is the, is the health and peace thing. So, yeah, it was great. I'm really grateful for Rog for illustrating that point. So what did he do? Well, he, on, in the, he, he, at that point, he was doing a little project where it was the Queen's Jubilee, um, and he had got hold of a fire barge, right, which is the, back in the day, they used to get the barges that would go out and put ships that were out on fire, with these enormous water jets that would throw water 200 feet in the air. And he was finding a way of making the water jets red, white, and blue, so that when she went past on the Royal Barge, he could fire off these massive jets like a firework. You know, so he was getting heavily involved in in that at the time. Did they succeed? Yeah, I think he did. He, yeah, I mean, but I guess that just gave him that little bit sort of more identity, sort of linked into yeah, but previous, a purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I th- you know, I think that's interesting. Um, we're you know living on the boat at the moment, and uh, one day we both stopped working, and we didn't have any purpose to the day. You know, we suddenly said, well, "What do we do now?" And we were like, "We're a bit of a of a, of a loose end." You know, so so you do need purpose, don't you, in doing what you're doing? Well, so there you go. Says it all, really, doesn't it? That's the answer: purpose, outcome, destinations. It's all there. Well, Hutch, I don't know. Um, I think uh, we should draw a line under that then. Thanks for the chat this morning. No worries. It's been <laughs> a great joy. <laughs> and just in time, here comes Bessie the dog rowing the boat back. Yeah. Now look at the or rower. is Bessie rowing or is Em's rowing? They're 
That's actually like an otter. Isn't she with her head stuck out the top there? <laughs> Look at her, she get massively excited. I bet she'll drop in the sea. I'm trying to outrow the ferry. How's this gonna work? 